Welcome to Possibly Speaking, a podcast that explores the highest spheres of spiritual thought as they find expression in our lived experience. Here's our host and the Mashpia of the Light Revealed, Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld. Hey, Chavra. So, Be'ezrus Hashem, we're going to continue living with the times, trying to identify how exactly the weekly portions of the Torah reading are going to speak to our experience and the process of recovery from whatever it is that we find ourselves stuck in and the attempt to extricate ourselves and untether ourselves from the things that hold us down and to most importantly own the process of life rather than focusing only on the destination of life. Most of what we've been speaking about is reorienting ourselves towards the duality at the heart of experience. On the one hand, there appears very clearly to be a sharp distinction between process and goal, between road and destination. Yet at the other hand, what we're trying to do is collapse the distance between the two of them so that we can properly relate to life as a process that contains the goal within itself. Meaning to say, every step along the road is not simply seen in terms of its distance or proximity from the desired goal, but rather each and every step is in and of itself the goal itself. Now, the value of finding the goal within the step is not there to negate the concept of growth, a concept that is perpetually relevant and present in our lives, but more importantly, it's there to help us reduce the pathological sense of this conquest-driven drive, of this drive towards seizure, of this drive towards ownership. But very often, what we encounter in our lives is this dualistic pulsation at the heart of experience that sometimes we feel like we're owning our experience. Sometimes we feel like we have a wholeness to ourselves or we're not rushing towards anywhere or searching for anything. Yet other times we feel devoid of anything to give us a sense of vitality and we find ourselves grasping at any substance, any behavior, any process that is going to make us feel like we're accomplishing something. Sometimes in life we're able to take comfort in the fact that I am breathing, that I am alive, that my own existence validates my own existence, where I can find comfort in the moment. And there are going to be other moments where a person is going to be filled with a sense that I don't have anything to hold on to, I don't have any value, I feel low in myself and my confidence in relationship to myself, to others, and to God. And this splitness at the very heart of experience, this tear between feeling like we're there already and we can rest comfortably and feeling that we're absolutely nowhere and that we run like madmen or mad women trying to accomplish something in the dizzying fit of desire is a difficult thing to live in. It's a paradox of sorts, but less neat than a paradox, it's a differentiation and a fluctuation in mood. There's a bipolarity, so to speak, at the heart of existence. There's a division in the core of the self that vacillates between, on the one hand, finding comfort with where I'm at, yet on the other hand, seeking comfort in things outside of myself. Now, this bifurcation of the self, this splitness of the self, First and foremost, what we have to understand is that while it is symptomatic of a certain sensitivity to the self, it is not relegated to only one type of person. There is no person who is not torn 
famously Rav Avram Yitzchak Cook, a visionary, a mystic visionary, who saw light even where others experienced darkness, who tried to uncover the light that is sown at the heart of experience, he famously wrote to non-religious literary figures who had become popular at a certain point in Israeli history in the very early stages of the concept of a secular Jewish literature that was saturated and suffused with the heartbeat at the heart of holiness. And what Rav Kook described is that in truth, in this gesture of secularism, this gesture of removal from holiness and from a, a God-driven goal, in truth, what this literature of, of secularism or this profane literature proclaims is a desire for God. And Rav Kook basically states that in truth, if they were able to really uncover in front of their own eyes what they're truly yearning for, then they would be able to admit to the fact that all things are driving towards the higher power of their own understanding. And the literary figure towards whom Rav Kook was writing responded, and he says, we love you, Rav Kook, you're beautiful, Rav Kook, but in the end of the day, perhaps it's you who is torn. Perhaps it's you who, instead of seeing our endeavor as a hidden holy one, perhaps your holy endeavor is a hidden secular one, God forbid. And Rav Kook wrote back as follows. He wrote, he who spoke about me and claimed that my soul is torn. They have spoken very appropriately, for of course my soul is torn. For it is impossible to conceive of any individual whose soul is not torn. For only the inanimate object is whole. But rather to be a living, breathing human being is to be caught between warring ideologies, between warring aspects of the self, where each battle and confrontation of that tornness gives birth to an attempt to sew it back together. And not only that, continues Rav Cook, but in truth, the dialectical unity that is born out of this unity of two oppositional traits is not final. There is no final unity, but rather the perpetual drive towards mending the tears is the very act of unification, is the very act of yichudim. And so we see that the tornness of the self is not symptomatic of some problem, but rather the more sensitive a person is, the more aware they are. Now, how do we see this playing out in our regular lives and lives of recovery and lives of an attempt to return? When looking at the big book, when the big book describes, or when the book of Alcoholics Anonymous describes the experience of the addict or the alcoholic, the literary example given is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, it can be seen as a cultural reference, or it can be understood in the context of the literary significance of what that perspective was back then, that the notion of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was not simply some example chosen randomly, but rather it represented on a certain level the core of the experience of the individual who finds themselves struggling between these two oppositional experiences in their lives. The nature of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is so insidious in the sense that it is not two separate people. We're not talking about a healthy, sober doctor and a monstrosity that comes from elsewhere. But the, the terrifying fact is that hidden within the healthy-minded, sober life of a doctor in its organized way of living life is hidden the potency of a monster. That is, in truth, the expression of the addicted soul or the soul that lives with a potential towards addiction. There is always a burgeoning possibility of chaos that is emergent from within the ordered self. 
And it's only when a person begins to make room for both aspects will they begin to tame that beast. Kolzman, all the time that I try and negate, repress, or ignore the fact that I have an animalistic soul to myself, that I have desires beyond what is fixed in my life, if I'm ignoring it, pretending that it doesn't exist because it doesn't fit neatly into my self-perception as a perfect, seamless creature of unity, and because I'm so embarrassed of this issue, until I'm willing to make room for it, accept it, and learn to live with it and through it, I will not be able to properly handle it. Each time I will be traumatized by the emergence of this traumatic surprise of a monster that somehow, someway made its way into my organized life. As opposed to recognizing that, okay, there is always that potency towards the monstrosity. There's always that potency towards the nefesh Bahamas, the animalistic desire that exists specifically and purposefully within the organized soul or within the divine soul. Once I make room for that duplicitous nature of the self, I will no longer see myself as a contradiction, but I will rather see myself, as Rav Cook described, as a torn soul that is in a perpetual state of mending, where I can now deal with my cravings, my triggers, my failures, my struggles, not as some traumatic invasion that needs to be dealt with and with by changing all of the external circumstances around my life, which isn't going to change anything anyway, but rather it gives me the ability to sit calmly with myself and make room for myself, to converse with myself, to identify the struggle from within the house itself. We encounter this in this week's Parsha where we encounter the birth of those twins of Yaakov and Esav from within the Yitzchak experience itself. Very often it's impossible to conceive of light and darkness operating in unison. They're paradoxes in terms and therefore they can have no relationship with one another. But what we see in the fact that Yaakov and Esav, Jacob and Esau, which represent these two perspectives, this physicality and spirituality, this unity and this disunity, this organized order and this chaos chaos are both emerging from within the same place. And while, yes, they represent two historically individual people who represent two historically individual passages in life, in truth, the idealized way that it was meant to be is that they were two parts of a singular unified whole. That each and every person has to be mitmodeid, has to face the fact that very often we have a Yaakov and we have an Esav in us. We have a good and a bad in us. Not only that, but very often they're somewhat indistinguishable from one another. The Katskarebi would say that when the time of redemption arrives, we're going to see Esav sitting and running the tish at the head of the table dressed like a Rebbe. Because the, the potency of that difficulty was not one that was so explicit to the eye, but rather it was a subtle distinction between this selfless holiness and a selfish holiness, which we all hold within ourselves. We are all very often caught up in that battle, in that day-to-day -day battle between the desire to be present like Yaakov and the desire to accomplish and to swallow and to eat and to devour like Esav. And it's only when we make room to that duplicitous and dualistic experience at the heart of ourselves, that we can learn to dance with it, that we can learn to bring Esav to the table, that we can learn to make room for the Esav tendencies in our lives. The tzaddikim say that this world is comprised of two types of days, days of love and days of hate, days of connectivity and days of disconnection. And if a person lives their lives assuming that one day is a day of connection and one day is a day, is a, a day of disconnection, then when I'm down, I'm down and I can't get up. And when I'm up, I'm up and I can't go down. But the healthy, mature, spiritual person perspective is recognizing that each and every moment is both a hateful moment and a moment filled with love. And it's dependent on the way that I choose to look at it. 
Rav Eliyahu Dessler, the Mikhtav Meliyahu, upon whom Rav Abraham J. Tversky, Dr. Tversky, said that in order to begin the process of being a healthy therapist, one should learn throughout the writings of Rav Eliyahu Dessler. Rav Dessler takes a comment from Chazal, from the sages in the Talmud, and says as follows. <laughs> The book and the sword descend into this world intertwined with one another, meaning to say that destruction and affirmation, light and darkness are always present as viable options in the moment in front of a person. I have to choose whether this moment will be a moment of the book, a moment of connection, a moment of Yaakov, a moment of affirmation, a moment of calmness, or I'm choosing that this moment will be a moment of the sword, a moment of disconnection, a moment of Esav, and a moment of this desire to acquire, to own, to be powerful. And it's only when we make room for this dualistic impulse at the heart of all experience that we begin to do the real work, which is what we're going to come in contact with in the upcoming weeks of choosing, of choice, of volitional behavior, which is what Yaakov Avinu brings us face to face with. So Be'ezra Sashem to learn to tolerate the dance at the heart of ourselves, to tolerate the fact that we are torn, to make room for that tornness, and to allow those seams that appear to be so distant from one another to in truth reveal the true dance of the spirit, which is not good in spite of the difficulty, but good specifically because we engage and travel and work through the Thank you for joining the Possibly Speaking family. Possibly Speaking is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our social media content team is Zoe Poznanski and Tehila Nisanian. And our music is by Zushio. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please check out our website, thelightrevealed.org, and feel free to email us and Rev. Joey at thelightrevealed at tlrfamily.org, or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at The Light Revealed. Thanks for joining, and we wish you the most blessed day in only revealed ways.